This is the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood. Did you know that the eating disorder anorexia nervosa has the highest fatality rate of any mental illness in the United States? All eating disorders are serious mental illnesses, and they can affect anyone, regardless of their age, gender, race, ethnicity, or socioeconomic status. The sooner an eating disorder is recognized, the better the chance of recovery. The trouble is, people can miss the signs or not take action because they don't know what to say or do, even medical professionals. Here in Maine, an organization called the Eating Disorders Association of Maine is working diligently to identify resources and provide training, education, awareness, and support for individuals and their families, for medical providers, and members of the community, like teachers who may be concerned about a student. In today's podcast episode, I talk with the association's president, Dr. Kathleen Hart. Dr. Hart is a licensed psychologist who specializes in the treatment of eating and anxiety disorders. Hello, Dr. Hart. Thank you for being my guest today on the Catching Health podcast. We've got a really important topic to discuss today. So you are a licensed psychologist. You specialize in anxiety and eating disorders. You're also president of the Eating Disorders Association of Maine. I want to get personal right off the bat. When you first started on your journey to become a psychologist, did you know you wanted to help people with anxiety and eating disorders? Not at all. I, um, I began my career and specialization in eating disorders on a unit at Boston Children's Hospital where I was placed for an internship on what was called back then a psychosomatic unit. And that psychosomatic unit had infants who had eating disorders. And people don't think about infants with eating disorders, but it's called failure to thrive. And they were mixed on the unit with teenagers with eating disorders. And there I started my um, training and career um, back then at Boston Children's Hospital at the Judge Baker Children's Center. Um, So that's where, and I really kind of um, uh, really enjoyed the population. And it's quite challenging. And I got such great training that um, it it sort of ignited a passion in me. Oh, good. Well, we need more people like you. (laughs) You told me before we got started that there's a strong connection between anxiety issues and eating disorders. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. You know, most individuals with um, who have disordered eating or eating disorders often have a, a mood or anxiety disorder um, combined. And it usually you could see um, a genetic link to the anxiety. Oftentimes you see, especially with young children, um, who might have um, obsessive compulsive symptoms, and then they start obsessing and compulsing about food. So the content may shift to food um, as part of their obsessions. And, and, and compulsions, which are the behaviors, would be around controlling food. So there's quite an overlap. It's surprising to me, though, to hear you say that even small children, infants, can have eating disorders. So are there different things that you can notice that, you know, give you clues that this, this is an issue? I mean, failure to thrive is obvious. Yes. 
Yes. And, you know, so many people think about a, a particular type of eating disorder and say, well, I don't have that kind of eating disorders. But I think to remember that eating disorders, there's a wide spectrum of uh, types of eating disorders. There's food phobias, there's um, food avoidance, um, there's the restricting, um, which can fall into the more uh, the, the um, range of anorexia nervosa. Um, and there can be compulsive overeating. So it, it's a wide range. And I think a lot of people stereotype eating disorders as it only happens to um, like ad adolescent girls of a certain socioeconomic class. But that's not true. It does not discriminate. Boys have eating, um, develop eating disorders as well. And of all socioeconomic backgrounds. Well, and when you talk about the younger kids, I think about picky eaters. Is that an eating disorder? It can be a disordered eating, and then if picky eating turns into weight loss, um, it can then um, have physical side effects. And when you enter a stage of um, malnutrition, then it can affect the brain. And when the brain begins to be affected by malnutrition alone, it's called the starved brain syndrome, then you can really, um, it can be really challenging for that um, young child to kind of um, begin to eat again normally without an intervention. They say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Can you really prevent someone from having an eating disorder? I think the association, the Eating Disorders Association of Maine, that's one of our um, uh, missions, if you want to say. We try to go out or we try to provide educators, um, um, medical pr professionals, um, people in the community, we try to provide them with resources for training and prevention. Um, so yes, to learn, um, again, the early signs and symptoms of eating disorder or disordered eating is really crucial because if you can get in and treat someone early, um, the, it yields the best prognosis. So that is one of our missions um, in terms of um, trying to get training um, and education out there in the community. Okay, I want to talk about that more, but I have another question. We've been talking mostly about younger people, but older people have eating disorders. Also, you, you've used two terms, eating disorders and disordered eating. Yes. Are they different? Yeah, well, disordered eating, um, for instance, in, on college campuses, nearly 40% of college students have disordered eating. So that's high. So disordered eating might be kind of um, having irregular eating habits, trying to diet, purposeful weight loss, um, restricting or overeating, some out-of-control eating. But it, it not, it's not yet an eating disorder. You know, it, when you have an eating disorder, it's starting to impair your functioning, whether it's academic functioning, your social functioning. Um, but it is a precursor and a warning sign if you're having a disordered eating. Another part of disordered eating is sort of your mental preoccupation with food, weight, or shape. So one of my favorite screening tools um, to assess whether someone has either disordered eating or a true um, eating disorder, is I always ask, you know, how preoccupied are you with food, weight, or shape? And oftentimes I hear 70, 80, 90% of the time I'm thinking about food, weight, or shape. Wow. And I alluded to older people, too, um, middle-aged people, 
they can develop eating disorders or disordered eating at any time of life? Yeah. You know, you do see usually um, with older individuals, um, it can be um, sort of what I call the mental be the, the mental thoughts about I'm dissatisfied with my body or I don't like the way I'm eating. And then um, you can um, it can take traction in terms of behaviors um, and you can either see out of control eating or restrictive eating um, in older adults. It could um, be connected to trauma or grief and loss, any sort of traumatic event, event in one's life and, and turning to controlling food as a way of coping. So yeah, you can see the onset of the eating disorders at any stage. And it's not just under eating, it's overeating, binge eating. Just to talk about that a little bit, binge eating disorder is finally approved um, um, as a, an, a, diagnose, a diagnosis. So therefore you can get treatment and your insurance will pay for binge eating disorder. That's huge, isn't it? Because it must be expensive exactly. to treat depending on where you are on the, the, the and spectrum. Lot, and, and again, to, to talk about that end of the spectrum, there's a lot of um, sociocultural messages about higher weight individuals. Um, another thing the Eating Disorders Association of Maine really endorses is body diversity and that you can be of higher weight moving your body and be very healthy. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, phobia around higher weight, you know, being of higher weight, even in the medical professional worlds, like just, um, but there's not, um, there's a lot of evidence to say, if you are moving your body and you're of higher weight, you can be just as healthy as anyone else um, of, you know, lower weight in terms of the, the BMI, if you want to say. That's an important message to get yeah, out there. Yes, it's very important. And there are different treatment modalities when you're working with binge binge eating versus restricting. Um, there's um, for for binge eating disorders. There's a a method of treatment called intuitive eating, and it has been very successful um, with binge eating disorder. And dietitians and therapists who specialize in eating disorders. Um, can provide that as a treatment option for binge eating disorder. Can you give us just a little bit more? What does it mean, intuitive Yeah, eating? intuitive eating. Sort of the premise is um, you're really um, getting attuned to your body and what it needs. And basically, you disband the sort of the diet, you, you, you shelve that, the fact that you sort of a dieting model and you listen to your body and you try to eat when you're s somewhat hungry. So you use what's called a hunger scale. So you're always eating when you're somewhat hungry. And then you try to stop when you're somewhat full. And no foods are off limits. And that can be incredibly liberating for individuals who have been chronic dieters all their lives. So if you're in, in it's... Um, Another part of that is you try to say, if you're somewhat hungry, you want to sort of say, what am I, what am I desiring? What am I in the mood for? So you might be in the mood for, you know, eggs and toast. So you try to what's called match what you're, you're, you're feeling like your body wants with a food, a type of food. 
And then after you eat it and you end, you know, you finish eating. So you might have a, a plate of food. You try to stop it somewhat full. And then you sort of assess, was that a good match? It does. It's very thoughtful. It's very thoughtful. It's very simple. And it can be very liberating for um, someone who has always been riding on a deficit that I have to sort of not eat. This is about welcoming all foods, uh, you know, and really when you hit the somewhat full state, it is um, a, a sort of eating in moderation model. Because it's so darn easy, especially in our society, to think, oh, but I had a hard time buttoning up my pants, or oh, I, I, I think I'm overweight, or, you know, you just have all of those messages that you get from other people, you get from yourself, and you mm -hmm. tune out your body, what, mm -hmm. your, what your gut literally is telling you. Yes. Yeah, you're exactly. You're sort of listening to this, the cultural messages that even being higher weight is somehow bad when um, it really, there's a lot of research um, saying that it isn't, you know, you can be very healthy at a higher weight. There's a great organization called healthateverysize.org, healthateverysize.org. And that really um, is a great organization promoting body diversity and health at, every, you know, health at every size. Well, let's talk about your organization, the Eating Disorders Association of Maine. As I understand it, it was formed in 2012? Yes. Why? To try to meet the needs of our state and, and communities to provide, um, whether it be individuals struggling with disordered eating or eating disorders or their families, medical professionals who don't specialize in eating disorders to provide um, a place for resources for not only training, education, and ideally prevention of eating disorders, but also quality treatment. I think it's really important to know that eating disorders require specialized training because they are one, they, they, um, it's a physical condition as well as a mental condition. So you really need what's called oftentimes a treatment team where you're collaborating with physicians, psychiatrists, um, dietitians, social workers, and um, whomever is um, the primary treater. Usually, um, you know, the therapist might be the one working primarily with the, um, the client, but you definitely are working um, in a cohesive with using a cohesive team model. And I noticed on your website, which is maineeatingdisorders.org, that you list resources available in Maine, and you have medical doctors, psychologists, therapists, registered dietitians. I saw that you had uh, yoga instructors, you had acupuncturists. So your team can be a wide variety of individuals that could, you know, sort of an acupuncturist can be part of the, um, the treatment team and, and facilitating healing from um, um, using an alternative treatment style. So again, that's a, another important piece is that I think we can say that everybody heals in different ways and we find um, access um, through alternative therapies. And I think that's really important to honor that in the eating disorder world and recovery. So to offer individuals a wide variety of treatment options is really important. 
without letting go of the fundamental um, components of the treatment recommendations. So if someone's malnourished, you can't sort of forego weight restoration as um, one of the number one treatment goals. But certainly having alternates or alternative types of therapies to um, to add additional support is is very helpful for individuals. Because really, you need to look at the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. So your association doesn't offer treatment, but it provides resources where you can find treatment. Let's talk about medical providers in general, primary care physicians. Um, I would guess that oftentimes they might be some of the first people who would recognize in a patient signs of an eating disorder. Um, do you find that um, th- that there are too many physicians who maybe don't recognize the signs, or if they do recognize the signs, they don't know what to do next? Yeah. It's really difficult to know who um, would recognize the signs first. I think family members, oftentimes educators, especially because you know many eating disorders begin in middle school, high school times. Um, peers often are um, express concern about their friends and will tell their parents. So, medical providers given how much time they have with patients nowadays, it's very, very hard to sort of screen for an eating disorder. And um, there is it, it, the medical field with now that everybody has to get on a scale, even if you have a cough or cold, when you go into the, um, to see your physician is also um, creating some weight phobia. So sometimes I, I hear individuals say, I don't want to go to the doctors because I don't want to get be, put myself on a scale just because I have a cough. Or I've heard so that too. It, it can play into the weight focus, you know, the focus on weight. Um, you know, and I think we need to look at that and examine that critically because again, weight does not equal health or not, you know, not being healthy, you know, you know, movement would be a much more important question in terms of the screening question in terms of health. Um, so it, it's hard. I think a lot of physicians, especially pediatricians are now much more knowledgeable about eating disorders. Well, that's good to know. Um, but is your association also trying to provide resources to? Yeah. You're trying to provide resources to a wide array of people, but I know specifically you're offering trainings. So we will volunteer or we will ask individuals who specialize in eating disorders to volunteer to train like medical professionals so that they know we can train them in what kind of screening questions to ask their patients if they think they have an eating disorder. And that's very helpful. So we will provide the resources, um, but we don't actually, um, they, um, and we're all sort of volunteering when we do that. And you've got a big state and a rural state. Yeah, yeah. The other thing to know is that telemedicine nowadays, so if you are rural and you're, um, you know, you don't have someone who specializes in eating disorder in your community, you can now, insurance has covered telemedicine. I've done a couple of, you know, I've done some where I've never, you know, I may have met a, a client at a conference or something, and then we started telemedicine treatment. And that is very helpful for those who live far away from individuals who specialize in eating disorders. You don't actually 
go out knocking on the office doors of providers, but you're there to offer information. What are some of the questions that a doctor should ask, in your opinion? Um, you know, again, some of um, some great screening tools is just say, you know, can you describe a typical day of eating? Oftentimes, the more specific you are with your questions, the more you get, you know, the answers you get. So if someone says, oh, I, or what did you have for breakfast this morning? Um, you can get a lot of information from the specifics. Oh, I had a, uh, a bagel. And then you want to ask what kind of bagel, <laughs> like you really want to know if they're under eating, overeating. Um, you can ask, have you ever felt sort of out of control with your eating, you know, just sort of eating out of control. What next? You ask the questions, you're sitting there with your primary care doctor and he or she asks the questions, but then maybe doesn't know what the next step should be. I think if, um, I think at that point, the, um, healthcare provider should then say, would you be, you know, would you ever want to talk to someone about it? Or would you ever, you know, do you want a name of somebody who might be able to, uh, you could talk further about this, your relationship with food, or um, even if they said, I, you know, I'd like to lose weight, or I would like, you know, like to have a healthier relationship with um, my body. I don't know if some of a patient would say that, but um, to then provide names and numbers of individuals who could um, help them. I always say, just get a consult from someone who specializes in eating disorder, a quick one hour consult to get a sense of do I or do I not have disordered eating? And that's what the association, where the association can step in and provide those resources. Exactly. Here are the people who provide eating disorder treatment in this state. Yes. And, and, to, and also to recognize that we are still a rural state and there are so few eating disorder providers. So this is where training, you know, um, you know, we are trying to support more training in the community and, you know, who pays for training to, for those to get specialized. This is sort of gets into the, 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 that activism of like trying to get the funding in order to train people to, to treat um, individuals with eating disorders. And that's one of the things that the association is trying to do. Yeah. We're, we, you know, we're, we, we're trying in all domains to try to be sort of activists to say, this is a real need in our community. Um, it's a real need for physicians and healthcare providers to screen properly and then to immediately refer rather than wait a year you know, if weight plummets when you're an adolescent, um, you know, you really want to get a consult immediately. Or if weight um, spikes, um, if there's any change in behavior um, around eating or exercising, um, you really want to get screened pretty quickly. You all have your work cut out for you, don't you? Really? I mean, here you are on a daily basis mm -hmm. trying to help people. And here you are on a, a higher level as an association, trying to reach the entire state of Maine and reach as many, not just professionals, but regular people as you can. How many people belong to the association or who belongs to the association at this point? Currently, they're mostly providers um, who, are, who belong. 
We would, um, you know, very much like to have families who have been affected by eating disorders, individuals who have been affected by eating disorders be part of um, the Eating Disorders Association of Maine or companies um, to support and sponsor the Eating Disorders Association of Maine. We are not great about um, public relations and getting ourselves out there. You know, we are most most of the board members are clinicians, so we're really busy. Um, we would be more than happy to have um, individuals who have experience in marketing, public relations, um, j- help volunteer for us. Um, yeah, so we're we're, um, we're we're in need of support. If um, this may be one of those kind of no-brainer questions, but um, you all are so busy already. Why take on running this association? You know, I think we're um, the board members and the providers who are members are really, um, I, you know, the word passionate, but we are passionate about eating disorder, high, you know, quality, high quality treatment. We have seen individuals who come to us eventually who've had um, treatment that um, wasn't aligned with your standard treatment guidelines of eating disorders. So it's um, really important to get quality treatment. So I think we're all pretty passionate and we share the same passions um, and we want to keep this growing. Most states in the um, country have an eating disorders association and then there's a national one as well. Um, so it, it really is crucial to have resources for our community. And so if I were to go to your website and I look at the list of providers, those providers have all been vetted. No. So that, that's another, no, you, we, we do not do vetting. So you, the, the family or the individual would have to do the vetting and make sure that they have the training. That's a very good question, but we don't vet. You, you definitely still, as a consumer, need to you know ask the right questions have you been trained in eating disorders how many eating disorder clients do you see a year i think that's very important the other um just factual piece of you know information that's really crucial um, that eating disorders has the highest mortality rate of any other psychiatric illness so it is crucial that if you are seeing a child or even a loved one um showing, you know, showing or exhibiting signs of disordered eating to take action quite quickly and swiftly and make sure that treatment is effective. That's a lot to take on if you're, I I would guess that in a family situation, a parent would be in panic mode, probably. Um, Absolutely. You know, you might notice things early on and you might try to fix things yourself, but quickly things get out of hand and uh, there you are panicking in crisis mode and then you've got to find somebody who's qualified to treat. But that's one thing that the association can continue to work on. Um, I noticed that on the National Association, there's like a hotline that you can call. Yes. Is that something that eventually you'd love to be able to have for the association? Uh, I think fabulous um, idea. However, the National Eating Disorders Association takes national calls, which is fantastic. I think, again, when you said families must be in panic mode, they are. It is a crisis, typically a crisis mode 
Um, when all of a sudden you see your child and they, you know, look like, um, a skeleton or something that you hadn't really noticed how much weight loss has occurred, had occurred. You are all in a crisis mode. Um, and even, you know, the treatment providers for eating disorders, it is an in intensive work. So a lot of people don't want to go into the field, um, because it's so intensive. You, you can't work in a, um, in a bubble and just do individual work when you're working with an, a, a patient with an eating disorder. You have to be collaborating with other people. So what has the association been able to accomplish since it started in 2012? Um, we have provided conferences, just small, small conferences for providers and, and, and have done some trainings. And we usually do it on a small scale, usually you know, maybe 50 to 75 individuals. We have done, a, a lot of our work has been offering trainings. So to volunteer, to go out to the medical um, com you know, communities, healthcare providers, and provide training on how to screen for eating disorders. And what are your goals? You talked a little bit about them, but... What is it that you're, yeah. you really want to be able to accomplish? Well, I, I think, again, we want to um, put the word out there and train and educate, one, for prevention measures, to, you know, educate um, either educators to foster body esteem, self-esteem, to take a critical look at society's message about um, weight and shape, um, to to you know, part of the dieting industry is to it, it's it, it drives revenue when you are feeling bad about yourself or um, when you feel you are not enough. Um, so just to have a critical eye about the cultural messages. Um, around this, so, you know, body ideal. And this goes for men as well. You know, more and more men are developing eating disorders. Um, and I think part of it is the cultural message to look a certain way. So sort of prevention is number one. Two, to be able to provide the community with quality treatment options. I think that's really crucial. Um, so that, you you know, individuals, when they're in crisis mode, are getting quality treatment. So um, hopefully we'll inspire some people who want to be able to help out. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they feel like they have something that they can offer the association um, or they'd like to get involved somehow? I think just go to the website, the Eating Disorders Association of Maine, and just email us if you're at all interested in volunteering, if you have any questions, um, to pick up the phone and just call. Um, and we will try to be of help. And, and, and if you want to volunteer, we'd be more than happy to um, try to get you on board to help. And by and volunteering, you mentioned about training people to go out and do presentations. Volunteering how? Probably more around um, marketing of the Eating Disorders Association main fundraising. We are a nonprofit organization that relies on some money in order to keep us um, uh, our nonprofit status um, active. 
So, so fundraising and, um, and then fundraising even to be able to do trainings Mm -hmm. and things and, and education. Um, so I, anything that is sort of our, probably our greatest need is to get the word out there that we do exist. We are available for individuals throughout the entire state of Maine, not just Southern Maine. And let's just remind listeners why this is important. Now, this is a big issue, not here in Maine, around the country, around the world. I think most people have been affected by somebody who's had an eating disorder. And some people may have chronic a chronic eating disorder for the most of their lives and never get help. I think a lot of people don't even know, you know, do I or do I not have an eating disorder? So that the, you know, just getting that, you know, clear as to whether you have one or not can be helpful. But most people have had a loved one be affected by an eating disorder and sometimes a severe eating disorder. So I think this um, impacts everybody, individuals and family members. Well, you're doing good work. You've got a lot of work on your plate, so to speak, I think. And uh, so hopefully we'll get some extra help for you for the association. Um, remind people that your website is at maineatingdisorders.org. That's the website for the Eating Disorders Association of Maine. What I will do is provide a direct link to your website on my blog. I'll also provide some links to some of the other resources that you talked about. We've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? No, Diane. Thank you very much for um, supporting the Maine Eating Disorders Association. Um, And we really appreciate just your interest in hearing about what we do. And if I'm, I'm sure that I'll get questions from people and uh, I'll know exactly where to send them. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again thank for you, taking the time. I've been talking with Dr. Kathleen Hart. She's a Maine psychologist who specializes in treating anxiety and eating disorders. She is also president of the Eating Disorders Association of Maine. I'm Diane Atwood, and I will be right back with more information about eating disorders. You are listening to the Catching Health Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with the Eating Disorders Association of Maine, the best way is to go to their website at maineatingdisorders.org and click on the Contact Us page. The association is located in Falmouth, Maine, but provides resources throughout the state. You can also call them at 207-781-5445 or send an email to info at maineatingdisorders.org. I will put up a direct link to the website and the contact information on my Catching Health website, which is catchinghealth.com. I'll include links to other resources, both here in Maine and nationally. And I'll also provide the link to another podcast I did on eating disorders with Dr. Patrice Lockhart. She's the medical director of the New England Eating Disorders Program at Sweetser in Saco, Maine. In that episode, we talk more in depth about the different types of eating disorders. And while you're on the Catching Health website, take a look around. You'll find recipes, fitness tips, blog posts on a variety of health and wellness topics, and more podcast episodes. I'm Diane Atwood, host and producer of the Catching Health podcast. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.